Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsha. This is going to be kind of fun. We just started doing uh, Everyone Wednesday earlier this year. I don't know why it just kind of came to me one night. I was just thinking about the days of the week. And I thought, you know what's kind of cool? There, a lot of people, we hear this, especially from our Colorado affiliate, KLTT, uh, in Denver area. One of the things that people have said they like the most about the Bottom Line Show, quite frankly, is they get to call in and win because there are a lot of teaching and talk programs on that are pre-recorded. They aren't always interactive. And we're pre-recorded on KLTT. I mean, they, they take a, uh, a segment of what we do here on the Bottom Line Show on the network, and then we carry it on KLTT. And one of the things about um, our presence there on KLTT that we like is a lot of people now are listening to KLDC, uh, AM 1220. KLTT is AM 740. KLTT covers the whole state of Colorado. KLDC covers Denver and a little bit around the metro area. But we're having people who are tuning in to KLDC now because they want to hear all 90 minutes of the Bottom Line Show each and every day. So if you are one of our Colorado listeners who heard about us on KLTT and now listen on KLDC, uh, welcome to the program today. But know that you guys were part of the inspiration for Everyone Wednesday. Because in addition to it being kind of catchy and clever because, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday, you know, that whole bit. Um, the fact that people would call in to KLTT and they say, this is great. I've been listening to KLTT for years. I've never won anything. It's so nice to have a show where you can win something. So that really does kind of fuel our passion. Today, here on the broadcast, you're going to have a chance to win not one, not two, not three, but four different resources and possibly more. Um, we've got a great couple of resources to share with you today regarding some issues that are, I think, of importance in the body of Christ and um, you know, the, 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 the wide range of uh, topics and emotions and things that we discuss here on the program, um, oftentimes people will start chasing a calling that they think is their calling indeed, and then they realize that instead of being purposeful, they've been purpose-fooled. Author Kelly Needham is going to join me in this last half hour of the program to talk about that. Also, author and journalist Andrew Lawler is waiting in the wings to talk about an article that he has published in the most recent edition of National Geographic and work that he's done about Jerusalem and and how uh, it's just it's fascinating that he had been working a couple of years on this project before all hell broke loose in uh, Israel on October the 7th. First though, speaking of the um, the the presence of the Jewish community and, uh, and, and the need for the American president to understand that. Um, some sad news to report um, over the weekend. We had an announcement with regarding Mike Pence and his presidential campaign. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Mike Pence, the former vice president of the United States, who's the 49th vice president, I believe, 48th or 49th. He was VP along with uh, Donald Trump during the Trump presidency. And uh, Mr. Vice President Pence's wife, Karen, joined us a couple of weeks ago here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about her new book. And I remember when she was on with us, I asked her about, you know, her president's candidacy, her husband's presidential candidacy. And she said, well, you know, we didn't think he was running again. We thought at some point he might run again, but we didn't think he was running again so soon. It was in January that we were in prayer and God told us it's time to run. And so he uh, started getting the launching everything together and officially kicked off the campaign, I believe it was either June or July, uh, showed up at a couple of the debates and, you know, had raised a bit of money, but not nearly as much money as it takes to actually win a campaign like this. And so uh, last week he was speaking at the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual leadership summit meeting in Las Vegas. And... Um, 
he made the announcement that he was going to be suspending his campaign, um, calling it an uphill battle. He says, you know, the Bible tells us there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And as I've been traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's becoming very clear to me that this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I've decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Now, you might ask the question, why would you, uh, you know, make that decision of all decisions and go to a campaign of uh, the Republican Jewish Coalition, their leadership summit, and make the announcement there. Uh, Devin O'Malley is a spokesperson for uh, former Vice President Pence and said that uh, he decided to announce the suspension of his campaign at the RJC gathering because, quote, the conflict in Israel is a microcosm of what Mike Pence has been evangelizing regarding populism and traditional conservative values. The RJC provided him one last opportunity to make that case and to do so in front of a supportive audience. And I can't stress enough, there were two things that Mike Pence brought to the table. He may not have been the most dynamic candidate, but if you are trying to build consensus with regard to people's morals and values, Mike Pence is your guy for, he's a consensus builder. He spent a couple of terms in Congress. Um, after being in the military, they're a military family. He then went to law school, passed the bar, and served in private practice for around 11 years or so. I have to admit, I'm watching Jenna Ellis enter her guilty plea last week and remembering uh, with regard to the campaign interference, aiding and abetting, et cetera, et cetera, to overturn the Georgia campaign. I remember seeing her on with Charlie Kirk on his podcast the night before January 6th and that whole quote-unquote insurrection and she was explaining to Charlie everything that uh, Mike Pence should be doing. And I, I looked at my wife and I said to Lisa, you know, Mike Pence practiced law for 11 years before he served three terms in Congress or four terms, whatever it was, and then became the governor of Indiana. Something tells me when it comes to constitutional law, I'm going to trust Mike Pence's view of constitutional law over Jenna Ellis's. And I know Jenna and have interviewed Mike Pence's wife. Anyway, so <laughs> interestingly enough, I think the vice president got a bum deal with regard to uh, the way January 6th went down. He really didn't have any options, but the Trump administration wanted us all to believe that he would, then uh, that he did. A new poll from the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs uh, came out in August, and it said that the majority of the United States adults actually have a negative view of Mike Pence, 57%. Only 28% view him positively. And I can tell you why they view him negatively, in all honesty. People fall into one of two camps. Either they are, Mike Pence was Donald Trump's vice president, and I don't like anything Donald Trump does, so therefore I don't like Mike Pence. Or, Mike Pence should have overturned the election. I've had guests on this program who told me, I, I believe that God told me that Mike should have over, you know, that we, we needed that to happen. And I just, you know, I, I don't buy either argument, to be honest with you. Put me in the 28% of Americans who view him positively, but here's another reason why. Uh, just in some of the folks that I have talked to over the past few months with regard to people who are on both sides of the aisle. Remember, it's not Democrats who elect the president. It's not Republicans who elect the president. It's the independents, the no party preference people who make that decision. Republicans are going to vote Republican. Democrats are going to vote Democrat. Donald Trump was able to get a few Hillary Clinton supporters to vote for him in 2016. But the vast majority of elections are won and lost in the middle. They're one with the moderate, with the independent, with the undecided. And I firmly believe that of all the candidates who are running right now on the GOP side, that Mike Pence had the best chance of winning that block. But when it comes to how much campaign cash do you have on hand, 
he suspended his, fortunately, he suspended his campaign not terribly in, in debt. According to the Associated Press, he had $621,000 of debt, had $1.18 million of cash on hand. So uh, that was at the end of September. October was probably a tough month for fundraising. And there was also speculation, too, that based on the metric that the GOP uses for who's going to show up at the next debate, the next debate's coming up November the 8th, and it looked like Mike Pence wasn't going to qualify to get on the docket. So chances are if he didn't qualify, that was really going to kill his uh, fundraising. And so he does the prudent thing, and Mike Pence bows out. Now the question is, Donald Trump, who's spent the past three years just belaboring this guy and just, you know, brutalizing him and he was a traitor and this that and the other thing actually had the courage over the weekend to say the least he can do is endorse me uh former vice president mike pence has not endorsed anybody for president just yet i'm sure he's keeping his powder dry with that regard but nonetheless i i I hate to see him leave i totally understand why it did happen and that's what it is so uh we'll put this up article up at the bottom line show.com you can have a look at it yourself and uh and see exactly what is going on with regard to uh, Mike Pence and the uh, office of president. Now, I mentioned the Middle East and the fact that another thing Mike Pence brings to the table is the fact that he understands foreign policy very well. Um, He understands the role of uh, Jerusalem and Israel very well as well. And uh, quite frankly, uh, some of the advisors that he brought to the table, Michael Youssef and others, uh, really were instrumental in making Donald Trump one of the most pro-Israel presidents we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, Andrew Lawler is a journalist. He's an author. Uh, he recently did a, uh, a piece for National Geographic called Under the Dome, talking about the Temple Mount. And that cover story actually is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have three copies of that National Geographic that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Andrew's going to join me. We're going to talk about the National Geographic article and also the updated paperback edition of his book called Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City that literally hit bookshelves the week before the Hamas bombing of the Yom Kippur 2023 attacks. Andrew Lawler joins me next as the bottom line continues. It's interesting how when you see the headlines of today and you connect them to biblical history from thousands of years ago, and then you realize that there are people that are led to certain parts of the country and parts of the world to cover certain things, and then they all turn out to be prophetic. We have one such correspondent writer and author with us today here on The Bottom Line. His name is Andrew Lawler. And Andrew did a piece recently for uh, National Geographic, which is uh, which is published and available now, and has also written a book about Jerusalem and the Dome, the book called Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. But who'd have thunk, as they say, that as he was writing this work for National Geographic, that all hell would break loose in the Middle East. I'm grateful to have Andrew Lawler with us today here on The Bottom Line to discuss it. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to have you here, especially because when we're talking about the Dome, we're talking about uh, the Dome of the Rock, actually, and why it is so important to people worldwide, but especially important to American Christians. Ta- help us understand the significance of what you're writing about, what you're talking about here. Well, keep in mind that Jerusalem has uh, been settled by people for about 5,000 years. So we, we could spend quite a while just talking about the history. But uh, let's just look at the bare bones. So 
Uh, if if anybody there who is listening or watching has been to Jerusalem, you know that on the east side of the old city is this huge um, compound, this acropolis that's called the Temple Mount by mm-hmm. Jews and Christians. It's known as the Haram al-Sharif or al-Aqsa uh, to Muslims. And the reason why this place is, I would argue, at the very center of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict goes back about 3,000 years. Now, this is the traditional site of Solomon's temple mm-hmm. uh, and also of the rebuilt temple that was renovated by Herod the Great uh, shortly before Jesus. So this site is important for Jews because this is where the temples were. It was the most important site for Judaism. And it's important to Christians because this is where, of course, Jesus went and worshipped at the temple uh, and where uh, Mary presented him. Many of the scenes in the New Testament take place on the Temple Mount. Now, most of us know that. Most Christians and Jews know this story. Uh, What I set out to do was to really uncover what happened after the Romans destroyed the temple Mm. in 70 CE. And what happened was uh, the when the uh, Arabs arrived uh, as Muslims, a new faith that came out of Arabia, they found the Temple Mount just uh, basically a garbage dump. Christians had left it uh, barren and empty because they believed that uh, it was the result of Jesus saying that no stone shall be left on top of one another on the on the Temple Mount. So it showed the triumph of Christianity over Judaism. Mm-hmm. The Muslims arrived and they said, wait a second, this is a very, a very sacred site. They had stories that this is where the temples, uh, the temples were. They knew it was important. But for them, the rock that now uh, is in this near the center of this very large compound covers maybe 20 football fields, uh, this hunk of rock for them was very important because in in, uh, Islamic tradition, this is where Muhammad went up into heaven uh, on a spiritual journey where he met all the prophets, including Jesus, who's a very important prophet for the Muslims. Mm -hmm. And he returned to earth with news about how Muslims were supposed to pray and what direction and how often. So for Muslims, this is a tremendously important place, second only to Mecca and Medina. Wow, that's fascinating. Andrew Lawler with me today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the Dome of the Rock. We're talking about his article for National Geographic and also the brand uh, brand new paperback edition of his book called Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, we, we, we talk about the fact that there's a timeliness to what's happening here, but then there's also uh, the, the timelessness of, of what we're describing here. Take us to 70 and then all the way up to where we are right now, because, I mean, there's the, 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 the temple in disrepair, Christians believing, of course, you know, and you read it in the New Testament. It's like, you know, when Jesus is saying, is saying things like, uh, there, you know, th- this generation won't pass away before the Son of Man returns. So you could see them saying, well, that temple upkeep isn't all that important to us. But, but talk about why this is, uh, the timeliness of right now really speaks to the timelessness of what's happening in Jerusalem today. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have uh, at this site, the Temple Mount, uh, Jerusalem's Acropolis, you've got these three faiths that consider this spot to be very, very important. But they believe uh, it's important for very different reasons. Uh, For Christians, it's a place where the Day of Judgment may may take place. Uh, Jesus may return to this spot. For Jews, it's it's the temple that some uh, would like to see rebuilt. Uh, For Muslims, it's been a sacred place for 1,400 years. So 
for the past 14 centuries, with the exception of the Crusaders who uh, came and took over uh, uh, medieval times for about a century, this has been a place of Muslim worship only. And that's begun to change. In the past uh, few decades, Increase, increasingly, there's pressure among, particularly among right-wing uh, Jewish fundamentalists, to be able to pray on the Temple Mount. Now, mm -hmm. let's explain why that's not happening now. Um, the reason is that there is actually an Israeli rule that forbids non-Muslim prayer. Now, you might say, wait a second, why would, why would a Jewish state have that kind of rule? Well, this happened in 1967. When Israel came in and was able to take over uh, all of Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount, as well as the West Bank and other parts uh, of areas that are claimed by Palestine. Now, when that happened, a bunch of Jewish soldiers, soldiers were there on the Temple Mount, and they actually uh, got an, an Israeli flag up on the finial of the Dome of the Rock, that golden dome mm -hmm. that sits yeah. over this important rock. And Moshe Dayan, who was the defense minister, said, wait a second. Are you guys crazy? This is going to set the Middle East on fire. Mm. They took the flag down and Diane made an agreement that was backed by the Israeli government and is backed by Israeli governments ever since. It says uh, in order to preserve peace in Jerusalem, uh, Israel, Israel will be responsible for security at this site, but only Muslims will be able to pray. Jews can pray down by the Western Wall and in the Western Wall tunnels. Uh, and uh, nobody else is allowed to pray, and this is a way to keep the peace, given that there are two billion Muslims that consider this a very important place. It's interesting when you mention and you use the word peace, make uh, peacekeepers as opposed to peacemakers. And we see that this kind of looks more like a, a temporal, worldly solution as opposed to a spiritual one, but it also speaks to the dichotomy of what's going on there, whereas the fact that you have a lot of people who are culturally Jewish, but they're practically functionally atheist for all intents and purposes. And I'm sure you've discovered as you've looked at these three different faith traditions, uh, Andrew Lawler, uh, all converging in this one spot, all having uh, the temple as being that place or that location for you know what is kind of ground zero for their faith. It's been fascinating. Now, you write about in the National Geographic piece, you talk about the first, second, and third temple. Can you help us understand that? Sure. So the first temple, uh, well, first of all, let's just say that we, we don't know where the temples were located. Uh, and that's because uh, we've been unable to do extensive archaeological digs uh, on the Temple Mount, on the mm. Al-Aqsa. And that's because it's a holy site. Um, mm, and just, okay. like, just like the Vatican or uh, people who own St. Paul's in London might not want people digging, uh, yeah. the Muslim clerics in charge uh, don't allow digs. Now, mm -hmm. so even if we could dig, there's no there's no assurance that we would ever understand exactly where the temples were. Just many thousands of years had passed. The Romans built stuff up there. The Christians were there. The Muslims were there. So a lot of time has passed, and we simply don't know precisely where the temples were. Now, you may hear otherwise from people, but there's generally agreement among scholars, uh, among credible scholars, that while the temples did exist on the Temple Mount, uh, we don't know precisely where they were. So when people talk about rebuilding a third temple uh, to follow the one that was destroyed in 70 CE, uh, they have a lot of theories, but really we don't have the data to say precisely what they looked like or precisely where they were. Um, now, many people say that it was located, that the Holy of Holies was located where the Dome of the Rock is today, that golden dome over the rock. Mm -hmm. This, however, is is really speculation because we don't have the scientific data to say for sure.
It's amazing and fascinating all at the same time, especially as more and more people are turning their attention to uh, Jerusalem, to Israel, to the Middle East, and with the conflict between Palestinians and Israelis continuing to heat up. Andrew Lawler's uh, cover story for National Geographic magazine is just, it's so timely, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. In addition, the paperback edition of his book, Under Jerusalem, the buried history of the world's most contested city just happened to come out a week before all this conflict happened. So God's certainly up to something here with the work that you're doing, Andrew Lawler, and we're grateful to have some time with you today. We've got a link for all these uh, resources, plus andrewlawler.com, up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Andrew Lawler is my guest, and we're talking about a couple of pieces that Andrew has written. One of them is a powerful article called Under the Dome. He wrote that for National Geographic, and uh, we have that linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got copies of the full... If you are looking for a copy of National Geographic, when was the last time you took a look at that? How much fun is the National Geographic magazine? They still do a bound edition, which is the print edition, and Andrew Lawler's article on... You know, what it's like under the dome on the Temple Mount um, is the cover story. Uh, so we'll set, we've got three copies of these to give away. What a, what a fun giveaway today. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Andrew is also the author of a book called Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. Now, interestingly enough, that book did come out a couple of years ago but they did an updated paperback edition that was just released on September 26th, which, as you know, was a week-ish before the uh, Hamas bombing, uh, the the new Yom Kippur uh, attacks on Israel on October the 7th of this year. Um, So we've got information on that book as well, but you really owe it to yourself to check out the works of Andrew Lawler, andrewlawler.com, and give us a call. We want to give you these three different... it's three different winners because we have three different copies, okay? <laughs> I want to say we want to give you these three different uh, copies and we're not giving three just to one winner, okay? It's just, just I want to be clear. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, earlier in the half hour, I was talking about Mike Pence suspending his campaign for president. And how unfortunate it is. And yet at the same time, I understand. I know that there's a lot of Donald Trump fatigue among voters, even among evangelical Christians. And uh, I I would imagine that there are some people who are looking for Mr. Trump just to not run. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, he is the front runner, hands down. There's no unified position on the GOP. 
that's a consensus, unfortunately. I think Ron DeSantis would do a good job with Nikki Haley riding shotgun. But I, you know, quite frankly, it doesn't look like the GOP is going to get it done. But one area that Donald Trump did get right, and even if it was a blind squirrel finding an acorn, I mean, still, it, he did get it right, was the Middle East when it comes to Israel. Moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was massive. It said, sent a message not only to the world, but also to the body of Christ. And remember that, you know, sometimes we as Christians have a tendency. We think about All Saints Day and all the saints who have gone before us understanding that you know there are people of the jewish persuasion who are under the old covenant who are redeemed that way but now that we're under the new covenant it's what steve Gregg says at the narrow path there is no replacement theology the christian church is not the new jerusalem per se jesus is the new jerusalem and so basically anyone who is in christ is part of the new covenant and it's the new covenant the blood of jesus christ that brings us together so when you see statistics like 90 percent of israel are basically secular and culturally Jewish, and yet God is calling people home to Israel. It's starting to set the stage. Tiny, tiny little Israel being bombed. I mean, there's 100,000 missiles aimed at Jerusalem by these 20 different countries, these Arabic countries that are surrounding them. And yet, the reality is, Jerusalem is where Jesus will come to rule and reign. So when you think about the work that guys like Andrew Lawler have done, you know, the, the old, time, old Testament prophetic guys um, definitely have a lot to say, but Andrew taking more of an archeological, three different Abrahamic religions trying to work together type of approach. It's very interesting and very meaningful. So give us a call, 800-227-5278. We have three copies of the National Geographic magazine that features Andrew Lawler's work uh, on his, uh, his writing and his research on the under the dome theme of the dome, of course, that's on the Temple Mount, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we've also got a copy or two of his book, Under Jerusalem, that we're giving away as well. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more about the buried history of the world's most contested city. Why are all eyes on Jerusalem? And why should our eyes be in clear focus as to what to be looking for, not just what's going on there? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Been hurt in an accident and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists to cover accidents. So you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again. And Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Andrew Lawler is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, writer, author, educator, and uh, not political commentator. I think, is that safe to say, Andrew Lawler? You don't see yourself as a, more of a politico. You're just looking at the history of what's going on here. 
That's right. Um, I think that by understanding the history and the archaeology of what happened in Jerusalem, we can learn a lot about what's going on today without uh, without taking sides uh, uh, in a place where people always seem to take sides. Yeah, sometimes the politics really does get in the way of understanding what's really important. Andrew is the author of a book, Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. The paperback is now out, and we've got a link for that up at thebottomlineshow.com. He also wrote an article for National Ge Geographic magazine on the Dome of the Rock and why it matters uh, to American Christians in particular. Uh, we've got that link up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. Um, before the break, we were talking about uh, just the history and the importance. And it's interesting to, to, to note that this is something that even for people who don't fully understand uh, what's going on here, you know, in terms of the spiritual significance of it, um, this one rock has attracted lots of sorts of legends and myths and, and even some Hollywood movies too. Talk about how, is it something in the way that it's built or the, just the look, the vibe? What, why, why is it so intriguing to so many people, do you think? Yes, yeah, so we've all seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the, mm -hmm. the movies that came after that. And really, the original Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, is a story that began in Jerusalem uh, about a century ago when uh, a, a British aristocrat pulled together a, a team of, I wouldn't even say experts. Uh, there were some mystics, there were uh, some treasure hunters, and their goal was to find the Ark of the Covenant and the temple treasures, which were said to have been hidden before the Babylonians arrived in Jerusalem and destroyed uh, the first temple built by Solomon. And uh, this is such a, this is a chapter in my book. It's such a fantastic tale of, of people looking for, for sacred treasure, which, by the way, they wanted to sell on the art market for several mm. billion dollars. I mean, this, <laughs> was, this was a, a for-profit enterprise. Mm -hmm. But the, the, at the very end of their expedition, when they had found virtually nothing, they bribed their way into the Dome of the Rock, which is that mm. shrine that sits on top of the sacred rock with the golden dome. And they went in there in the middle of the night with picks and shovels, and they begin to whack away at the cave underneath this rock. Wow. Now, this is a sacred place. For Muslims, mm -hmm. it's a place where the it's called the Well of Souls. It's where it's where souls, when you die, you go there and you'll come back out of this spot uh, when the Day of Judgment arrives. So it's, it's a sacred spot for Muslims. And here, these Christians are whacking away at this spot. Hmm. And of course, they were discovered and had to get out of town really, really fast. I'll bet. But, What's what's important about what was kind of a comic opera uh, and, and besides being a good Hollywood movie is that this was a moment where Muslims who lived in Jerusalem realized that they had to take care of their sacred site that at that point was run by uh, the Ottoman Empire based in, in Istanbul. So this was really the beginning of Palestinian nationalism. So when you when you talk about the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount, it's really, I think, important to realize that for, for Palestinian Muslims, this is a place not just of religious significance, but it's the center of what they see as their nation. And that's why it is such a hot spot for both Jews as well as Muslims. When you wrote this article, Andrew, for National Geographic magazine, were they taking into consideration the timing of what was going on, not just in world events, but like with the Jewish calendar, the Muslim calendar, that type of thing? Or was that just some kind of hand of God providential thing that said, <laughs> let's put it out here? Yeah, that, that'll work well. Apparently, it was the hand of God at work because uh, this is this actually took several years to put together because we had to wow. get permission to go into mm -hmm. uh, a shrine that is where uh, non-Muslims are, are not allowed. 
So um, I'm a Christian. I and we had to go through the process of, of winning the trust of the Muslim clerics, uh, as well as the palace in Amman in Jordan, because the Jordanian mm. king is really the custodian of this site, both Christian and Muslim sites in Jerusalem, interestingly. So uh, it, it took a while. Uh, but we were able to get the permission, and they gave us uh, the capacity to go everywhere. We went in every place in that amazing building, wow. which is one of the most spectacular places on earth because it's a it's the product of of uh, craftsmen, both probably Jewish as well as Christian and mm -hmm. early Muslims, as well as Iranians, people from Arabia that came from all over the early Islamic empire to put together what is a unique building that has never been equaled. There's really nothing like it. Mm, it's incredible. Andrew Lawler is with me today here on The Bottom Line. AndrewLawler.com is his website. A uh, brand new book that's up at TheBottomLineShow.com. It's actually the paperback edition of a book he published a couple of years ago, and the timing is just perfect. It's called Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. We also have um, links to the article that we were mentioning, that cover story that was published in National Geographic right in just on the doorstep of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that we're experiencing right now. Um, let's look ahead to the, the the future here. I mean, with what you're looking at, Andrew, I mean, I, I'm grateful that you have put the time in. And I'm curious, I don't think I asked you this at the beginning, so maybe I should kind of backtrack as we start to wind down. What got you interested in this type of stuff? I mean, this is not just the, you know, I think I'm kind of bored in high school, so I want to become this investigative journalist, you know, writer, <laughs> author type of thing. What What lit the fire for you? Well, I was always interested in archaeology. I grew up in in mm -hmm. Virginia, um, mm -hmm. and you know, our idea of going on a pilgrimage was going to a Civil War battle site. Sure. Uh, so I was primed from an early age to love history, and there's no place like the Middle East for history. Um, yeah. So I went to Iraq uh, before that, before the war, actually, and uh, began to write about uh, ancient cities and ancient civilizations in Iraq and Syria and Jordan and other parts of the Middle East. And I always kind of avoided Jerusalem because it just seemed so complicated. I mean, the politics, the religion. But then when I went on a tour one day with an archaeologist friend of, of some of the underground spaces in the city, I was blown away. There was so much going on underneath, and I became curious, like, well, how did this happen? Who first dug here? Uh, did What did people find? And I discovered that there was this incredible cast of characters that since the 1800s uh, has been digging beneath the city to find uh, primarily uh, biblical remains. Wow. And this is a story that's never really been told. So that was my goal to pull these characters together and, and tell a good yarn, because some of these characters you just can't make up. No, that's for sure. And I appreciate what you've done, not only in the article, but also in the book that we've got linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Andrew Lawler, how would you recommend? I mean, there are people who are praying for the peace of Jerusalem right now, not wanting to see bloodshed on either side, but wanting to see some kind of resolution. And I know we talked about the fact that you and I aren't politicians necessarily, but when you think, look at the research you've done, the history that you know, you know, the 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 way these this has been built, the archaeology and things like that, there's a lot worth protecting here. And there are probably some other people would say, yeah, but we should knock this thing over and build something new. What do you say to the critic who says, um, thanks for the history lesson, but we need to have something new and God's doing a new thing here? How, how do you recommend we move forward in terms of how we're praying for this area right now? Well, I certainly wouldn't want to try and alter or change anybody's 
religious belief. That that's certainly not my job. Uh, <laughs> but I would say, you know, what religion would say it's a good thing to destroy another person's sacred site? Um, I think respect and tolerance are are part of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Now, the idea that that we actually have to learn, as hard as it is, to love one another, even when we're very different, I think is a fundamental in the three monotheisms. So I think if we keep that in mind, uh, that it makes it more difficult to think about uh, blowing up the Dome of the Rock. And I actually interviewed uh, this one gentleman who actually got the dynamite together and was going to do it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was going to he was going to plant the dynamite around the columns and blow up that dome so that a third temple could be built. And whatever one's religious beliefs, I, I think it does. It, it should make anyone pause to say, is this the right thing to do? Uh, mm -hmm. We might think that it's God's plan, but if it's going to cause suffering uh, for other people, I, I think it's worth just uh, questioning ourselves before we take that step or before we support people who want to take that step. I think this kind of religious extremism that we see in the Middle East, uh, whether it's Muslim or Jewish or even Christian, uh, is really responsible for at least some of the trouble. Um, and I think if if people of faith can come together and really focus on the values that these faiths uh, provide us, then I think there is the hope that Jerusalem could someday, possibly, maybe not in our lifetimes, become a city of peace. Yeah, well, when that that would be wonderful, and especially for us, our calling as Christians to show the love of Christ to everyone, and uh, and not to be, you know, the the agents of divisiveness, but literally be peacemakers as opposed to just peacekeepers, as you alluded to earlier. Andrew Lawler, the Dome on the Rock article, which is up on National Geographic's website, we've got it at thebottomlineshow.com. Also, the brand new paperback edition of his book Under Jerusalem: The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. That's up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. Andrew, great to get to meet you. Thank you for, and I appreciate. I mean this sincerely. Thank you for the work that you've done in preparing this article and this book to help so many people for such a time as this. Thanks for being with us today on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate the visit. Thank you for the opportunity, Roger. Well, a great conversation. Fascinating guy, too. Great work from Andrew Lawler. Today here on The Bottom Line, we were discussing his cover story, Under the Dome, which is the cover feature story of the most recent edition. I want to say edition and issue at the same time. I got a issue. Um, the most recent edition of National Geographic magazine, they still do bound versions of National Geographic. Nat Geo has three copies that they sent to us, and we would like to put them in your hands. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, also ask about Andrew Lawler's book, Under Jerusalem, The Buried History of the World's Most Contested City. Uh, we've got information about that as well. And don't forget, since this is Everyone Wednesday, everybody's going to win something. And I think that is uh, huge because of uh, the fact that um, there are so many different uh, parts of uh, so many aspects of our Christian existence that are uh, well worth exploring, well worth discussing. And uh, um, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to uh, have these conversations each and every day here on the Bottom Line Show. So um, we've got Kelly Needham waiting in the wings to talk about how you discover your true calling and purpose in life. And sometimes you get fooled. Sometimes you get tricked by what's, you know, the world says or what you want to hear. And uh, she's got a book called Purpose Fooled. We'll be getting into uh, coming at the top of the hour. On the other side of this break, a state that is in the crosshairs right now because of all the indictments about uh, supposed election fraud and things of that nature makes a powerful statement for the sanctity of human life 
with a Supreme Court ruling that actually upholds something that we have come to hold dear in the sanctity of life, pro-life movement. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Andrew Lawler, the author of the book Under Jerusalem, for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. He's got a great article called Under the Golden Dome. It's about the Temple Mount and uh, the three Abrahamic uh, religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. I call him Abrahamic, of course, because Father Abraham is kind of uh, central to all three of those faiths. Um, And then they turn sideways from there because of Abrahamic tradition. You've got Abraham and Isaac and Abraham and Ishmael and Christianity goes one way and um, <coughs> Islam goes the other. But uh, the article under the Golden Dome is the front cover story article in National Geographic magazine. We have three bound copies of that we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line here on this Everyone Wednesday. You know, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. The state of Georgia is a fascinating place these days because there are 10 million people who live in the state of Georgia. Of the 159 counties in Georgia, all but maybe four or five of them are what you would call red counties, and yet the ones that are blue are the most populous. And so, you know, with 10 million residents there, but you've got like uh, uh, Cobb County, for example, that uh, has 700, 800,000 people in it. You got Fulton County that's got a million or so. I mean, that that accounts for a good portion of what's going on. The uh, shenanigans that are where you see lawyers being indicted and things like that happened in, uh, it wasn't Cobb County, but uh, Lee County, it was a smaller one. Um, One of the ones that has like 44,000 people in it or whatever. And that's where they tried to sneak into a smallish Georgia County copy some software that was allegedly uh, the Dominion software that was there to see if they could find voting irregularities and then prove that that set a precedent for the voting irregularities in Georgia. And to his credit, Brian Kemp, who's a Republican, uh, Brad Raffensperger, who is a Republican Secretary of State, I believe, or the Attorney General, uh, stood up to the charges by the the allegations by the Trump administration. And uh, you're going to find voter fraud just about anywhere. There are going to be some places where there are some ballots that were, you know, tampered with or whatever. The question was, and the media has been able to beat this one back very easily, widespread voter fraud led to the stealing of the election. You know, hundreds of millions or hundreds of thousands of votes, maybe millions of votes counted one way instead of the other, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that, to their credit, Governor Kemp did not fall for. Now, in fairness, one thing that Governor Kemp could have done a better job of is his uh, Secretary of State or Attorney General, um, who released information to all the major media outlets right after the election was over. Uh, they, They said, we've got evidence that Donald Trump called and said, find me those votes. And it turned out what the president did in his phone call. He did, in fact, call him and said, look, if you recount the election, I think you'll find enough votes for me to get elected. And that, of course, got misconstrued. No one actually heard the audio. They just went off the, the, the reporting about the soundbite. And three months later, when the audio actually went out, it was like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. You know, we got what we wanted. <laughs> and I, that's, that's no way to govern. It's no way to, to rule. It, it's really not. So kind of poo-poo on what's happening in Georgia on the election stuff. But when it comes to the sanctity of life bill, and bills that have passed recently. Georgia has stood up to the bully and did so again recently. Now they've got the Georgia State Supreme Court 
upholding a piece of legislation that was passed recently. It's called LIFE, the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act, the LIFE Act. And basically there was a, uh, uh, the, it's the heartbeat bill that bans abortions after a baby's heartbeat can be detected, which is usually around six weeks of gestation. Now, sidebar note, I've talked to people who are passionately pro-abortion who will agree to disagree. They like the way we handle stuff in the bottom line show, but they think, no, you've got to keep abortion. You've got to make sure that a woman can do it if there's a, her health is at risk and you know the baby's life, et cetera, et cetera. But even they will tell you, at six, seven weeks along, when you first hear the heartbeat, most parents already know, do I want to be pregnant? Do I not want to be pregnant? I mean, it's anecdotal. These are just you know conversations with people who support the other side of the argument. And I think if you did pass a federal ban on abortions at seven weeks, most Americans would be okay with that. When you look at the number of abortions that happen in the second trimester, and the trimester system was only invented, from what I understand, based on when Roe versus Wade was passed because they were trying to delineate the different parts of the gestational life of a baby growing in mom's womb. And it's amazing how when a state passes a, uh, a heartbeat bill or something like this, like the LIFE Act, in Georgia, how the left goes nuts. Remember what happened when they proposed this bill and it passed? You had all the left, you know, Disney and Tyler Perry and all these other people saying, we're not going to make any decision. No, we're not going to make any movies here. Now, Georgia's very aggressive when it comes to tax credits, when it comes to opportunities for filmmakers. You can't watch a reality television show these days, it seems, that is not produced in Georgia. I mean, just, it is. And I'm not just talking about the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Almost everything, they find a reason to be in Georgia because they get some kind of subsidy. A lot of faith-based movies made in Georgia because they get some kind of subsidy. Georgia's very aggressive with the media arts that way. So it's very interesting to me that they were saying, well, you know, the left is going, we're going to leave. Law was passed in 2019. And oh, you know, Roe versus Wade was still a deal. Well, if you're going to be so hateful to women and, you know, not want to, not affirming abortion care, then we're just going to leave. Well, guess what? Here we are four years later. The Life Act has, in fact, been upheld now by the Georgia State Supreme Court. And Hollywood's still making movies in Atlanta. <laughs> they just can't. I mean, here, we're going to, we'll take a break. And when we come back, I want to take a look at why. Uh, the Georgia State Supreme Court overruled a lower court that ruled in November of 2022 that this bill was unconstitutional. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100. 
It all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're still taking your calls at 800-227-5278 for this half hour's giveaway. It's three copies of the National Geographic magazine, bound, you know, Nat Geo, just like you used to get when you were growing up. Um, the cover story is on the Temple Dome, the Golden Dome of the Temple. And it was written by Andrew Lawler, who was my guest today here in the first uh, hour of the broadcast, who's written a book called uh, Under Jerusalem. He, he spent several years studying and researching this article that came out in the September or October. It came out in late September. It was the October issue of National Geographic magazine. And it came out, and three days later, Hamas attacked Israel. I just it, The timing on all this and all the history and what's going on and the three different major Abrahamic religions that are fighting for the area, fascinating work that Andrew's done. And I mentioned we've got not one, not two, but three copies of this National Geographic magazine, which is very substantial to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. We are rejoicing with the decision last week that by a seven to one margin, uh, Georgia's state Supreme Court has upheld the, what they call it the Life Act, the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act. Uh, there was a, a ruling by Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney back in November of 2022 that actually prevented the state from enforcing the law. Basically what it does is it bans most abortions after a preborn child has a detectable heartbeat, but always allows for abortions in the case of rape incest or to save a mother's life. Now, our friends at the Charlotte Lozier Institute always remind us that that constitutes approximately 3% of women and pregnancies that where a woman says, I think I may want to abort my child because I was sexually assaulted, there's incest in my family, or the doctors agree there's no other way to save the child life. Based on the fact, that that's 1%, by the way, of those are because of the saving the child's life. I mean, we've, we've come so far in American medicine to where the instances that a woman might actually have where she would need to uh, possibly consider ending a pregnancy to save her life now, are they're talking, I mean, they'll do a, an early C, pull the baby out in the amniotic thing, do the surgery through that, put the baby back in the oven, and boom, you're in there for another couple of weeks. I mean, it's amazing to see how kids are surviving this type of stuff. But basically, here's the thing. Um, in, in 2019... The Life Act was passed. At that time, of course, Roe versus Wade was the law of the land that legalized abortion nationwide. The Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health decision uh, overturned Roe by holding that the U.S. Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. So basically, here's the uh, the majority opinion. It, it, Supreme Court uh, Justice Verda Colvin dismissed the lower court ruling that Controlling Georgia precedent required it to assess Life's Act constitutionally, uh, constitutionality based on the legal environment that existed when the measure was enacted. So in other words, they're saying, yeah, Roe versus Wade was overturned in uh, June of 2022. But since this bill was passed in 2019, and that's when Roe was still in effect, then you can't have this bill. So here's what Verda Colvin wrote in dismissing that whole uh, issue. Um, Quote, the United States Constitution means today what it meant when the Life Act was enacted in 2019, even if the United States Supreme Court's interpretation of the Constitution has changed. 
The judge contends that the trial court erred by concluding by ruling against life, even though it complies with the U.S. Constitution today. The same U.S. Constitution governs today as it did when the Life Act was enacted. And Georgia courts are required to look to the United States Supreme Court's now controlling interpretation of the U.S. Constitution when determining whether a statutory law violates the Constitution. Because Dobbs is controlling precedent on whether the U.S. Constitution confers a right to abortion, and because the parties and the trial court do not dispute that the Life Act complies with Dobbs, it follows that the Life Act did not violate the U.S. Constitution when it was enacted in 2019. So, hear, hear to state Supreme Court justices who read the U.S. Constitution and overturn the poor rulings of lower courts who just are looking for a way to keep abortion legal because they seem to think that women, this is the irony, the grand irony, that women will die if they don't have the right to kill their children. If you look at maternal mortality rates and how they continue to rise in the United States, the one piece of the equation that the left does not want to introduce is the fact that maternal mortality rates often rise because women have botched abortions and now the baby and her mother or and his mother wind up losing their lives. It's a tragedy, but I'll tell you, our friends at Preborn are doing a tremendous work to help. We are nearing the $100,000 mark this year, which means six different uh, preborn locations have ultrasound machines thanks to your generosity and Several hundred babies will live because of these different uh, appointments that are being kept and uh, lives that are being saved because women are getting the ultrasounds. And in many cases, not only are they saving the child's life by choosing adoption or to become mothers themselves, but they're also hearing the gospel and committing their lives to the Lord. Will you consider making a $28 donation right now to make one of those appointments possible? 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Had a $100 donation recently from Nancy. And Nancy, thank you so much for calling that in. So glad to hear from you. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and follow the prompts and you can make it happen. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about what it's like to think you heard the voice of God, that you're chasing a dream that's a calling, and then you get fooled. So you're not purposeful, now you're purpose-fooled. The woman who came up with that phrase, Kelly Needham, is going to join me to talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. It's amazing to me the number of people who are trying to find significance in life, especially as Christians. We know that we're created for a purpose. We're created to do the things that God has called us to do. But what happens when you start looking for meaning in life and you realize that you are looking for it basically in all the wrong places. I can hear the Johnny Lee song coming on now. Uh, Kelly Needham is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and we're going to get into a conversation about a term that she has coined, I believe, uh, called Purpose Fooled. Uh, Why chasing your dreams, finding your calling, and reaching for greatness will never be enough. We've got a link for her brand new book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kelly Needham, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much, Roger. I'm glad to be here. When did you discover that you had first been, or was it somebody else you saw? I mean, have you always been laser focused on what God wanted you to do and you've seen other people get what you call purpose fooled? (laughs) No, uh, this actually has come from my own personal wrestling with this issue and feeling fooled myself into Mm. where I thought meaning was found. So Mm -hmm. it's come out of a personal need for these truths that really caused me to write about them. 
You know, I when I think about you open up in the book asking the question, why is it so many people feel this need to do something extraordinary? It, that could be defined in a lot of different ways, whether it's, you know, someone who wants to climb a mountain, run a marathon, or somebody who says, boy, my life has to have some kind of meaning and significance in my work or my ministry or this, that, and the other thing. Why do you think we're wired like that, Kelly? Well, I, I think ultimately because we're made in the image of the eternal God. You know, Ecclesiastes says that eternity is written on men's hearts, so things just don't uh, satisfy if they're not huge. And so we have this big, gaping need for transcendent meaning and purpose that I think is built into us. It it Mm -hmm. is how we're made. And so we tend to assume, you know, like the world assumes achievement is what gets you there, so we tend to kind of embrace that and go, great, if I can achieve something great, and of course we make it very spiritual as Christians— I can do great things in ministry, or even I can just become a really great Christian and eradicate (laughs) sin from my life and pursue this type of perfectionism, that will satisfy that sense of longing for meaning, Uh, but it it really can't. It's still not big enough. Mm -hmm. That's the irony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And you know, it's amazing how oftentimes when people find themselves doing something that's a little less than extraordinary— and still finding that there's meaning in it. I mean, your question that you ask in the book, should we embrace the ordinary? Talk about why uh, that, that's often something that's kind of hiding in plain sight for us, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is that there is so much meaning to be found in the everyday because meaning's found in God, right? Meaning's, meaning can only be found in a person, and that person dwells in every aspect of our day, the big moments that people see and the very small hidden ones that no one sees. And that means everything really has the capacity to tap into that sense of deep meaning so long as we do it with God and for God. Mm. But if you do just chase the ordinary as a a means to maybe kind of swing the pendulum the other way, well, I'm not going to do the big things. I'm going to do small things really good for God. If it's still about you achieving something in ordinary ways, it also will still be lacking because uh, doing the right things in the small way, if it's really you as the protagonist and the hero in the story, it's still going to fall flat. I think it's not until God really, uh, you know, upends us out of that place of main character in our own lives and becomes the thing that we live for and find meaning in. Uh, only then do we really feel that itch scratched, that deep need for for a transcendent purpose. Mm. Kelly Needham is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Purpose Fooled, which if you've heard the word purposeful before, you understand the, uh, the the play on words there. But Purpose Fooled, why chasing your dreams, finding your calling, and reaching for greatness will never be enough. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned something just a moment ago, Kelly, I wanted to circle back around to, and that is that greatness is not necessarily a destination uh, necessarily, but the, the, you have a whole section of the book where you say your purpose is a person. Um, talk about why it's important to understand that, I love the way you describe this, that greatness is received, it's not achieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the modern understanding is a very humanistic understanding, right? Our culture, uh, by and large, most people in our culture are, are not uh, worshiping a sacred deity outside of themselves. We really see Uh, a lot of humanism, humans as the central uh, figure in the narrative. And so we become the heroes, we become the ones achieving and doing. But if you look at the narrative of Scripture, it really is God. In the beginning, God is doing things. And even before we are made, He is active in our stories. Before we were born, all our days are written down. Uh, Meaning does come from a person outside of ourselves. 
and the greatness that I think Jesus presents to us in the Gospels when he's asked about greatness uh, is one of recipient and receipt. You know, the disciples come to him asking, who's the greatest? And they probably have in mind, you know, who's going to achieve the most as one of your followers? And he picks up a child Mm. and says, the greatest in the kingdom are the ones that become like this child, which children, by definition, are expert recipients. That is what they do. Yes, they, yes, everything yes. is done for them. <laughs> yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. That That is their posture. That's, that is what defines a child. That's really the difference between children and adults, is adults are contributors. Mm. Children are the recipients of that contribution. It's actually how we grow our children up and prepare them for the world, is we give them chores and we give them responsibility. And that is a good thing to do. But I think the point Jesus is making is greatness is actually... Uh, coming to you when you understand in your relationship with God, He's the contributor, you are the receiver. The more open your hands are, the more you understand that apart from Him you can do nothing, and you posture yourself as a very happy recipient. I am happy to be the receiver in this relationship, that He actually looks at that and says, that Mm. is greatness. That Mm. is impact. That is what impresses me. And it's just so backward to us. It's, It's really hard to believe. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're talking with uh, Kelly Needham today here on The Bottom Line. Her book, book, by the way, is called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching your for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, it's interesting. You know, we all have this desire to be recognized. Uh, my wife and I were watching a special on the uh, soccer player David Beckham. And it was interesting to see how he and a couple of the guys that he kind of came up with through the ranks, they were playing in some major World Cup type match or something like that. And they were both talking about how important it was for them to see their parents in the stands. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, I remember when my kids were seven playing soccer and they love seeing mom and dad on the sideline. But to see these grown men, you know, world class caliber athletes saying, oh, my goodness, I want to be seen. That's a part that. We all have that desire, and yet when you're talking about the fact that it's like, yeah, but you're losing yourself in Him, so you're going to be seen by Him. Talk about the fact that all of the work that we do do is going to be basically hidden, <laughs> and and that's bad news for us, but it's good news ultimately. Yes, I, I think it is a human desire, like you said. It's something everyone, every parent understands this because you're bombarded every day with, Mom, watch me. Dad, look at this, you know. Right. And we don't despise our children for that. We don't actually see that as something unhealthy in them. I think it is part of the, again, the human condition in Genesis. God made us, and it says he saw them, and it was good. There's something about being seen by someone else that actually makes us come alive. But if we're chasing the wrong audience, which many of us are, we want to be seen by the world, by the eyes of other humans around us, and maybe by more eyes, the better. At the end of the day, we all are forgotten. And that is a type of bad news. I mean, we go walk, if you go walk a cemetery, I mean, the names that are just all over these gravestones, like who, you know, give it a few generations, and we really are forgotten, and our lives become hidden in a way. And I think uh, that helps us to then ask the question, then what do I do with this desire? If ultimately it can't get mm-hmm. met in other people seeing me, not in the way that I really need it, uh, then I have to go toward a different audience. And again, that's what Jesus does in the Gospels. When he sees religious people doing their good deeds to be seen by others, he rebukes them and says, don't do that. But then he doesn't say, don't live for any audience. He actually says, go do things in secret where your Father who sees mm-hmm 
will yeah. reward you, that he actually is telling us everything you do is seen by God, and he will reward you. He says, you know, in the last days that things that are whispered in secret will be shouted from rooftops. What a, a terrifying day and glorious day that will be. That means every yeah. hidden work you did of fighting temptation in the privacy of your home or interceding mm-hmm. for somebody mm-hmm. or or giving, or there's so many hard, difficult things we do, just giving forgiveness in our hearts every time we walk into church where we've been offended. You know, those great hidden works will one day, they're seen by God now, but He will make a public display of them later. And that actually is, I think, meant to be a comfort to us, because we were meant to be seen. It does help us to know that the hard labor we're doing is visible to someone. Uh, I think we just have to be careful who, who, whose eyes are we living for, because mm-hmm. um, one will disappoint us and, and one will satisfy eternally. Kelly Needham is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Purpose Fooled, and if you're having a difficult time with that turn, just practice saying that during the break, Purpose Fooled, because instead of purposeful, a lot of times we, we get tricked. We, we start thinking, okay, I want to do great things for God. I want to make an impact on the world. I want to make a difference. And then we begin to realize, wait, if I'm using worldly methods, if I'm forgetting who my audience of one really is, then chasing my dreams, finding my calling, quote unquote, reaching out for greatness, it's never going to be enough. This is a great book to help kind of level set and reprioritize, especially if you've got young adults in your home who are out there saying, I'm ready to go take on the world and make my impression. Uh, this is a good uh, level setting book for that. Kelly Needham, the author of the book Purpose Fooled, is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Kelly Needham is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book has an interesting, interesting title, but I love the way what, what this word actually represents. The book is called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. Now that we've kind of level set you there, the link for the book's up at thebottomlineshow.com, we're talking, of course, about the fact that everything that we do, all that we hope to accomplish, we are made you know, in the image of God, as Kelly mentioned in our opening segment. And so, of course, we want to do great things. But we realize that there's nothing new under the sun. There's really nothing that we can do that's going to be super great until you begin to realize, well, wait, why are we doing what we're doing? And following him is ultimately the way we're supposed to go. Um, Kelly, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that, okay, now we understand there's nothing new under the sun, but we do want to do something unique. Talk about what happens when we do ordinary actions and literally place those actions in the hand of an extraordinary God, as you write about. What, mm-hmm. what, what can we expect to see happen there? Yeah, um, I think that 
like you said, that human des- that's a human desire to want something unique to do. And that's, by and large, how the world understands purpose right now. If you just look at the resources out there, when people talk about finding your purpose, what they mean is figure out what you are uniquely made to do and then go right. do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the danger there is, is we begin uh, searching ourselves for something unique to bring to the table. And ultimately, uh, like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there really is nothing new under the sun. Um, but God is also very clear in the New Testament that each one of us has a unique contribution to make. Uh, like in, we see in 1 Corinthians 12, that we're all parts of a body, you know, like each part has something to contribute and matters. But I think the unique thing uh, that uh, the, the unique thing we're after is not actually found in some unique skills that we bring to the table, but really the whole of our lives is utterly unique because everywhere I go, I'm the only me going there. Right. My uh, neighbor next door to me is having, a, you know, only has me as their next door neighbor. They don't have you there. So I might not be the utterly unique one, but God in his extraordinary unique plan for me uh, has sent me to this particular street with these particular neighbors who have these particular things they're suffering and going through. And I happen to know Jesus and live next door to them or my own children. He's entrusted to me. Only I am their mom. Only I am showing up to that church service, sitting next to that person who I see crying. You know, each one of those moments is so profoundly unique, and only I am there. But the uniqueness doesn't actually dwell within me. It really does dwell in God and His great purposes for my days that He's written before me. And so instead of, uh, you know, taking that longing for uniqueness to my own set of skills, desires, and passions and isolating it there— I think what we see in the Bible is an expansion of that. Every single moment of my life is, is so wholly unique uh, that it really allows me to live fully in each moment, whether it's visible to everybody and on a stage or it's hidden in the privacy of my home. Uh, this is a moment to steward for the glory of God. He wrote it into my life, and uh, I get to walk it out with him and for him. And that, gosh, that's really good news and frees me from the burden of having to be the unique one all the time, bringing something right to the table. That's a lot of pressure that I just don't think a lot of people can live with. We want it on one hand, but then I think that's one reason, not the only reason, but one reason there's so much anxiety and pressure on people because we're trying to be uh, carry weights that I think only God can carry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you think about the, uh, the what we're trying to do. One of the things that you talk about uh, in, in the final section of the book is you, you call these noun-obsessed verbs and uh, the noun-obsessed life that a lot of people live. One of the things that you talk about, I mean, that, that is toward that end, is rather not trying to die for your dreams, but dying to them, for example. I mean, that, that's got to be a big aha uh-huh moment for a lot of people to say, wait, I've been working on this, and I've been wanting this, and this, that, and the other thing. What do you mean I'm supposed to die to my dream? Does that mean that what God gave me to do isn't the right thing to do? Talk about how you parse that out. Sure. Well, I think uh, dying is a part of the Christian life, so we have to establish that firsthand, right? You know, Jesus said, whoever wants to come and follow me must take up his cross. And uh, there's a daily dying that we should expect. Mm-hmm. So uh, that should be normative, uh, whatever we're dying to. But then I also think that this conversation is preceded by um, this idea of following Jesus, that when you look at Jesus' call on his followers, it's really a call to loyalty to him above all else. Uh, will you be loyal to me? Will you follow me? He doesn't look at his disciples and give them lists of tasks, you know, here I want you to do this and do that. Uh, we see it a 
occasionally, but generally it's a, just stick with me, follow me, abide with me, you'll bear fruit, stay with me. And sometimes in my life, uh, following Jesus and particular dreams that I have uh, had hopes to accomplish or do have been in conflict. Mm. And what do you do in that moment when staying faithful to Jesus and the things that he's clearly written in his word um, that are priorities for him are now in conflict with the dream that I had for my life? I think the, the right response is to let it die. And I think that's what you see John the Baptist doing. John the Baptist mm. had a very clear, particular uh, calling to be the forerunner for Christ. But then, as Jesus comes on the scene, it kills his ministry. John's ministry goes into decline, and then John is eventually put in prison. And his response in some of those moments is, amen and let it be, because my loyalty is to the bridegroom, my loyalty is to Christ. And if he needs me to be living the thing that he called me to or setting it aside, I'm fully at his disposal, because my loyalty is not to a particular task or dream, it's to him. And sometimes he allows us to live the things we want to, but there are also seasons for things. And sometimes we hold on to a dream longer than we should or hold on to a particular thing we have felt called to do. And I think it's that loyalty to Jesus, that following of the person, not a plan, uh, that really gives us the wisdom to know when is it time to chase this thing and when is it time to let it die and know that Jesus has promised every seed that dies and falls to the ground will actually bear fruit. Mm. So dying isn't actually a bad thing in the Christian life. When we, when I feel that sting of death in my life of, gosh, I really wanted to do this, but it's very obvious to me that faithfulness to Jesus means letting it die right now. His promise right. is, in some way I can't fathom, this is going to bear fruit. And that's ultimately what I want. I want my life to be fruitful in the truest sense. That's the greatest uh, encouragement we can get today uh, from Kelly Needham here on The Bottom Line Show in her book, Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough is so helpful. Uh, Kelly, we've got a couple minutes left in our time together, and one of your uh, sending principles, if you will, is to not rejoice in being used so much, but rejoice in being known. And that sounds a little daunting to someone like me who's a type A task-oriented person who's also an introvert. I mean, the, I want God to know all about me. I just don't want, you know, to be brought out like you were talking about, you know, and all our good works are going to be displayed. Talk about why understanding the difference between the two, between being used and being known, are, is crucial if we're going to live a fulfilling Christian life. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that principle comes from uh, uh, the scriptures in, uh, I think it's the book of John, uh, let's know it's in Luke, it's in Luke chapter 10, but it's the only place that Jesus is actually recorded as telling us not to rejoice in something. It's when the 72 of his disciples return and they say, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says to them, uh, essentially don't rejoice in this. Do not rejoice (laughs) that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's just interesting to me that I think that's a caution for those of us uh, who want to follow Jesus and want to be used by him, that even in the greatest moments of victory and success in ministry, that his warning is, uh, don't rejoice in that. I think Jesus knows that it's really tempting to enjoy being used by him more than him, himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would like to do for God more than we would like to know him, because we love to see ourselves achieving things. And Jesus wants us to achieve things. You know, he has, he, he saves us and sends us, but he knows that that type of ministry can really compete for our loyalty and our love for him. And so I just think it's an interesting warning for us and one that I've kind of stored up in my own heart in the moments of like doing books. You know, when I get good feedback from a book or something I've written, 
um, there is a moment of encouragement, and then I feel yeah. that healthy warning of, but don't rejoice in this. Rejoice mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, I've written your name in the book of life, and I know you, and you know me, and I have eternity with a person, uh, not with my works collected around me, but in a relationship. You know, that's really where we come alive is in relationship, and that's the thing that Jesus is encouraging us to celebrate, to enjoy, and to exercise caution in our work mm-hmm. that we don't yeah. uh, get things backward uh, in our hearts. Boy, that is good counsel, too. And uh, it's a, a good uh, level-setting exercise that I encourage all of our Bottom Line Show listeners to engage in and use this book, Purpose Fooled, as the uh, navigational tool, if you will. Kelly Needham, the book is called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kelly, thanks for the work you did on this project, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Roger. It's been such a joy to chat with you. Well, that was a fascinating conversation, a real eye-opener, too. And uh, today here on The Bottom Line Show, we've been grateful to have time with Kelly Needham to discuss her book called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book we're giving away. If you didn't get through on the Andrew Lawler giveaway, this is one you'll want to get into. Um, We do have a copy of the book Purpose Fooled that we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy of Purpose Fooled by Kelly Needham that we're giving away. We'd love to give it to you. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, is the best way to pursue God's will for your life by not pursuing it? I'll talk about what I mean by that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. My thanks again to author and Bible teacher Kelly Needham for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Her book, Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of this book to give away today. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Listen, I can tell you anecdotally, just from my own personal experience, that I concur with everything Kelly's talking about. Here's the reason why. 
It is amazing to me how many people have been able to do exceedingly abundantly far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine by not following a 10-step program, by not going after this graduate discussion, whatever it is, but literally by doing two things. First of all, showing up. <laughs> literally showing up, saying, I'm here, Lord. Here am I, send me. It's amazing how many people don't get to go to the places that they want to go or they think they want to go because they're not there. Secondly, is by being willing to do whatever God asks you to do. You ever heard this expression? I know it might sound trite, but have you ever heard it before? God is more concerned with your availability than your ability. It's amazing to me how many times I'll see this play out in the sporting world or maybe in uh, the fine arts or maybe even in politics or I, it, who knows? Or how about the, 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 the guys who've done so very, very well in business, for example, Milton Hershey. Remember the Hershey chocolate guy started out making caramel, went to Germany looking for a way to kind of keep the caramel to get it congealed enough, but not too cold, not too hot. Found a chocolate maker instead, brought that back to Hershey, Pennsylvania, what it became. And he's one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs we've ever seen. But his first goal was not to make chocolate. It was to make caramel. The athlete who is a star at every position in three different sports when they're in high school. And by the time they get to the pros, what happens? Well, this guy was a shortstop in high school. He was a pitcher in college, but he wound up going to the Hall of Fame as a catcher. Why? Because he was willing to play the position that was ne needed. Don't pigeonhole yourself based on what someone told you they think you are. Here am I, God. Send me. Here am I means I'm here and ready to go. Send me means I'm available for whatever you have for me. Then, and only then, as you begin to walk down the path that God leads you on, you'll be amazed to find out what your real purpose is. None of us who have achieved any level of success can ever look back and say, it happened just like I planned it. But isn't it nice that God's way always works because in sovereignty, that means God always gets what he wants. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.